Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There are many stories that get sent into my channel that don't quite fit the topics I usually do. As you guys know, I'm typically somebody who covers the outdoors, the natural, and the supernatural. But from time to time, I do like to go into a little bit of different territory. So today is going to be one of those videos where I'm reading stories that involve more, I guess, people and... I guess maybe cities and stuff? I don't know. I guess we'll see where this goes. But as always, if you have stories that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit them at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. You can also submit them on reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. I'd love to see your story and share it with everyone here. Now, without further ado, don't forget to slap that like button a little bit, subscribe if you're new, and get ready for some creepy and allegedly true disturbing horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Encounter with a Potential Serial Killer by Stormlark83 This happened around 2002 when I worked swing shifts at Hewlett Packard as a life test technician. We would run their newest printers through various tests using different media types in specific environments, such as high humidity, low humidity, high concentrations of dust and sand, etc. Then write up reports if there were any defects. I lived in a large apartment complex with my stepsister as a roommate. She worked at a bar downtown, and although we ended our shifts around the same time every night, she often hung out for about an hour after clocking out. She had a lot of friends, and they stopped by quite often. It was common to hear someone knocking at 2 or 3 a.m. That's why I didn't think much of it when I heard someone at the door one night after coming home from work. I checked the peephole, but didn't recognize the guy. He looked a bit older than my stepsister's usual friends, probably in his late 30s or even early 40s. We were in our early 20s at the time, but I assumed he was her friend and opened the door. Now, I'd like to take some time to explain my behavior before telling the rest of the story. Unfortunately, I was a victim of SA for many years when I was younger. The reason I'm bringing this up now is there's something strange that can happen to me in certain situations. It's almost like an involuntary freeze or submission response. I'm unsure if anyone would understand it, if they haven't experienced it themselves, but I'll try to describe it the best uh, as I can. It happens in levels or stages. At stage one, I became more, you know, submissive. I keep my eyes and head down, uh, I answer in short phrases. I'm still aware of what's happening, but things become dulled, and speaking in complete sentences becomes difficult, like wading through molasses. If things progress, I become increasingly more detached from my surroundings, leading to a near catatonic state at its peak. At this point, I was utterly incapable of speech or movement, I'm basically in shock. So, back to the story, I guess. 
I opened the door and let the man know my stepsister wasn't home yet, but they would be here soon. He surprised me when he said he didn't know her and would come to see me. I asked if we knew each other from somewhere, and he said no. He said he often saw me walking to my car holding a guitar case and wanted to know if I could play. The guy seemed, uh, off to say the least. There was something about him, his, his facial expressions, posture, and the way he just looked at me. Alarms were going off in my head. My gut told me this person was bad news and I was in danger. Unfortunately, my stupid brain entered stage one instead of slamming and locking the door. I looked down and said, yeah, sure. He wanted to play my guitar, and he wanted to ask if he could come inside, and for some reason I said okay. I stepped aside and let him in. He closed the door behind him and I heard him lock it. He asked where my guitar was. I said my bedroom. He asked which room was mine, and I somehow managed to wrestle a tiny amount of strength to tell him to wait on the couch. Something about him taking me to my bedroom was just too much. Even though I was pretty sure that terrible things were about to happen to me at this point, he obliged and made himself comfortable in the living room while I fetched my guitar. Many of you probably are wondering why I didn't use that moment to save myself. I had a cell phone. I could have tried calling the police. Then again, the man hadn't really done anything wrong, and I did let him inside. So what would I have told them even if I managed to snap out of it enough to try? So I did exactly as I was told. I brought my guitar to him. He asked me how long I had been playing, and I just said a few years. He asked me to play something, and I apologized because I mostly only knew religious music from playing in a church band. He said that was fine. I played a few songs, and then he started crying. So I stopped and sat there for a bit. He apologized for getting so emotional and said it was because I had the voice of an angel. He then asked if he could play something for me, and I said sure. I handed him the guitar. He acted like it was out of tune and started rambling while messing with the knobs. A bunch of crazy stuff about how he used to be the lead guitarist for Metallica and how they kicked him out of the band and stole all his songs. I just nodded like I believed him and was sympathetic. He tried a quarter or two, but it was apparent he didn't even know how to play. I mean, he really didn't even know how to tune the damn thing. He said he was used to playing... He said something about not being used to playing acoustic and would need one of his electric guitars to play for me. He said I should go back with him to his apartment. <laughs> I said, okay, many of you are probably thinking, what the heck is wrong with you, bro? If it makes you feel any better, I thought the same thing. Unfortunately, my body wasn't listening to me and instead, I was following this guy outside. Things became very fuzzy as my mental state started to decline rapidly. I could not tell you for the life of me where we went. It was another apartment somewhere in the complex, but I, I don't know where. When we went inside, there was almost nothing there, just a TV on the floor and two milk crates with pillows for chairs. No boxes, no furniture. It was like nobody even lived there. Felt like a freaking crack house where people were squatting. He smacked his forehead and said, oh darn, I forgot I sold all my guitars last week. It was a lie, but I nodded and said, that's okay. He asked if I wanted anything to drink and I said no. He grabbed a beer from the fridge, took me by the arm, and led me in front of the TV. He said he had a bootleg copy of the latest Star Wars film, Attack of the Clones, and asked if I wanted to watch it. And for whatever reason, I said okay. He sat me down on the floor, held me to his chest, and started rocking us back and forth while rubbing my back and talking. The physical contact worsened my mental state considerably. 
I could barely follow his words, but it wasn't good. They spoke of a shadow that haunted him at night. He said so much weird stuff about demons and angels. I wasn't surprised when he admitted that he was planning to kill me. The shadow had told him to. He said he'd been watching me for over a week when I got home. He had been waiting for me tonight. I nodded as he said these things like routine. And we weren't discussing him literally planning my impending murder here, but I don't know what was going on. He started crying again while talking, and he held me tighter. He said he didn't want to do it anymore. He said he was pretty sure I was an angel, which must be why the shadow targeted me. I just kept nodding like, a, like some sort of idiot. Eventually, he decided to not kill me, but said he wasn't sure how he could keep the darkness at bay. He told me to go home before he changed his mind. I said, okay, and managed to stand up and walk towards the door. Suddenly, he grabs me from behind in a bear hug. I froze, expecting the worst, but he reached for my hand, forced it open, and pressed something into my palm. He said it was an ancient coin that had been in his family for generations and was probably worth a million dollars. He wanted me to have it to remember him by. He asked me to promise not to sell it. I said of course I wouldn't, and he let me go. I walked out the door and wandered outside in a daze. It took me quite some time to find my way home. The coin turned out to be a silver dollar from 1978. I still have it, and the worst part is, that thing still bothers me. I was embarrassed by how I reacted and let this basically happen to me. I never really told anybody about it. My stepsister has been interested in moving for a while, and I found us a new place, so maybe we'll be safer there. But, I don't know. This could have been a harmless, weird guy doing weird guy stuff. But, who knows? I couldn't tell you. Beaver the Creeper by Kiwi This was the first time I had ever really been away from home. I finally moved into a new school and was excited to explore the campus and find ways to connect with my fellow students. I heard through the grapevine that a local theater company was looking for extras to help with their upcoming products and that some of my classmates were trying out. Growing up, I had always been a theater nerd, so this would be an excellent way to become part of the theater club in my new community and make some new friends. Something important to note here is that the show was in a city-maintained forest near the school and the audience members would travel throughout the woods to get from scene to scene. So I get to auditions, everything goes well, and I make it into the show with three other girls from my school. The four of us would serve as guides to help the audience reach the scenes scattered throughout the forest. While I didn't know any of them personally, two girls were in some of my classes, and the other girl said she was a year below us. We became inseparable over time, as four young women who were going to be wandering around the forest by themselves in the dark this show did take place at night, by the way. We wanted to ensure that we had each other's back at all times. Girl code, you know? So, fast forward a few weeks, we eventually mastered the routes we'd be taking, and everything seemed to be going pretty smoothly except for the caretaker. For the sake of privacy, we're going to call him Beaver. Beaver was your classic grumpy old caretaker. He constantly complained about the noise we were making, grumbled about the tech stuff we needed to use, and was an overall just unpleasant guy. 
This would have been fine on its own, but Beaver also had a nasty habit for making inappropriate conversations with some actors. For example, he would make jokes about having cameras in the bathrooms, telling people to change costumes and use the restroom in the forest instead. Beaver even said something incredibly sexual to one of the actors, and while I won't go into detail, I will say it made him highly uncomfortable. It was bizarre, mainly because the show was getting a bit raunchy toward the end, and Beaver would get extremely upset that something like that was being shown in a place where regular patrons could see. From what I could remember, he sometimes became pretty aggressive, often screaming at the director and making threats. Despite all this, the show went on. When it was time to open the front to the public, the three girls from my school and I were stationed around the entrance to help the audience get settled in and ready for the show. I was supposed to be greeting them in character and verify that they had brought or bought any tickets. Everything went very well and the first couple of shows went on without much incident. However, things took a massive turn on the second or third to last show. It was a few minutes before audience members were supposed to start trickling in. So I made my way to the table to prepare the guest list. My station was a fair bit away from all the other actors. The only other person who could see me was the girl a year younger than me. Beaver decided to make his way over to my table and stood right in front of me. He started asking me some strange questions, but I shrugged it off, thinking he was just playing along with the show. So I made some silly banter with him in character. Eventually he said, Hey, come over here. I want to show you something. I raised my eyebrow and glanced at the girl to ensure she was watching. She was watching our every move, and I knew the other actors were ahead. So I carefully made my way around the table and stood about five to six feet away from him. Beaver suddenly grabbed me, saying, Ah, you can't see it there. Come over here. He pulled me beside him and pointed to the sky, mumbling about the stars. I was frozen for a spell until I noticed he was slowly pulling me away from everyone else. I snapped out of it and wrenched my arm from his grasp, saying something about how I had to return to work. He looked like he was about to retaliate, but walked away when he saw the girl watching our conversation. I returned to my table, exchanging a shaken glance with the girl before returning to work. The show goes on and everything seems okay when the director calls for all the cast members to remain in a particular area after the show because there had been an incident. Beaver had found two young girls who made it into the show, screamed at them because they weren't old enough to see a performance of this kind. He dragged them in front of the audience, marched them off somewhere away from their direction, and now people were calling the authorities because they had no idea where they were. The cops did find the girls who were crying and severely shaken up and were probably just taken away to get home safely. When we heard this, the girl and I looked at each other in shock as realization hit. While we don't think he did anything illegal, he handled the situation far from appropriate and confined him to his house for the remainder of the shows. The rest of the shows went on just fine and I'm still very close friends with some of the actors, but part of me still wonders what Beaver might have done if that girl might not have been watching us that night. The Man With No Thumb by Winter Warlock I've only ever shared my paranormal experiences with a very select few friends in real life, but I have quite a few good ones. I would kind of like to tell them for people to discuss and enjoy. This first one is my very first experience ever, and I was too young to really appreciate it in its full gravity. 
I'll warn you now, it starts off very sad, but the ending will be worth it. Some of this is my memory, and some of this is filled in by my mother, because I was kind of young. When we were very young, my older brother got cancer, lymphoma. It was six at the time, and I was three. Even so, I do have a few scattered memories of him, and we were inseparable. The doctors and my parents tried everything they could, but his young body could not handle the aggressive treatment required to cure him. He passed away at just six. My father dove deep into alcoholism to cope, and my mother became super busy trying to support the family, paying the medical bills, and planning her son's funeral. Without my brother to play with, I would seclude myself in our room upstairs, sitting alone, playing with my toys. I do distinctly remember a very comforting old man coming to play with me sometimes. He would dress like an old farmer, leather boots and all, but he didn't have a thumb on his right hand. I didn't think anything of it because the old man seemed really nice. My mother heard me talking while I was playing upstairs and just assumed I was goofing around. When I came downstairs, she would always ask who I was talking to. I would always say, the man with no thumb. She let it go at the time, but thought it was strange that I made up an imaginary friend that didn't have a thumb. Fast forward a few weeks and I'm upstairs playing with the man. My grandma had come by to check on us after everything that the family had been through. She asked my mom who I was talking to upstairs. The man with no thumb, according to him. My grandma turned white and called me downstairs. She asked me to describe the man, and I described him in great detail. His face, his clothes, everything right down to the missing right thumb. My grandma knew from the description that I should probably tell my grandpa. So I described the man to my grandpa and he was speechless. I described his father. His face, his demeanor, and the thumb he lost in a farming accident on the family farm. The family farm was sold before I was even born, and I didn't even know that my family had that type of background. My great-grandfather also died far before I was ever born, and she never knew what he looked like, hence why she didn't catch on at first. I didn't see him much after that, but my whole life growing up, I do remember occasionally hearing heavy boots walking around the house. It's always a comfort to know he's still checking up on me. Man in the Wardrobe by Josh C. I was around five years old. My bedroom was the smallest room in the house, which I had a single bed and a wardrobe that used to belong to my older brother who had since left home to join the army. One night I was watching TV laying in my bed, and I suddenly had this overwhelming feeling that someone was watching me. So I looked over my left shoulder to my door and there was no one there. As I looked back at the TV, I thought to myself, I just saw something in the wardrobe. I looked back at the wardrobe, but it was closed, so I shrugged it off and carried on watching TV until I eventually fell asleep. That night, I had a nightmare about a weird figure standing in my wardrobe, and I woke up sweating and crying, so I ran to my parents' room and told them I felt sick. When I was that age, if I was ill, I would be able to sleep downstairs with my mom, so I used this as an excuse to not sleep in my room that night. The next night, again, I was watching TV in my room, and by the time the video I was watching had finished, it was dark outside, and I didn't have a light on, so the room went completely dark, except for two white lights coming from the gap between the wardrobe doors. Terrified. I ran to my parents again, and said I felt sick, so I spent the night downstairs again. After a few nights of nothing happening, I almost forgot about what had happened entirely, so I fell asleep quite quickly, but this scratching noise woke me up. All that was lighting my room at this point was the night light from the moon coming in through my window. 
The scratching was clearly coming from the wardrobe, but I thought maybe it was just my sister in the next room or something, but I stayed sitting up in my bed staring at this wardrobe. After what felt like hours, but was probably only just 30 seconds, I started to turn away and the doors creaked open. I quickly turned on my TV, which showed static. This pretty much lit up the entire room as it was so small. I looked straight into the wardrobe and I could clearly see this figure. A silhouette of a tall man in a long black coat, black hair, no face, and bright white eyes staring down at me. I stayed downstairs for a week after that. As strange as it sounds, I got used to this figure in my wardrobe. There was clearly no room in there for someone to squeeze into the wardrobe, but somehow there would always be this massive figure inside. I would hear scratching sounds and bumping sounds, but I would never see it leave the wardrobe. About a year later, my brother was discharged from the army, training on medical grounds, and had end up moving back in with us. I was now in the room next to my old room, and he had that one. One day, I told him about the wardrobe, which was still in here, which was still in there, and he had told me he had experienced the exact same thing when he was my age. Scary Tijuana Story by Scienter18 This happened in 2000 or 2001. I had just moved to SoCal for college. My roommate and I, both males in our early 20s, thought it would be fun to drive into Mexico because it was not far away, maybe just a couple of hours at most by car, and we had never been. One Saturday late morning, we had made the drive into Tijuana parked and immediately hit a bar slash restaurant. It was around 1 or 2 p.m. We ate tacos and drank a lot of beer and tequila. We got pretty faded as this place was called Senior Frogs or something like that. I think we had cigars too. After a couple of hours, we exited onto the street pretty drunken and in very good spirits. It was still daylight, maybe mid-afternoon. I think our plan was to hang out a while longer than drive back home at dusk once we sobered up a bit. We were approached on the street by a very friendly Hispanic male. He was very short, maybe 5'2", Joe Pesci style, approximately 30s in age, and stocky. He was literally dressed like Louis from Revenge of the Nerds. He may have also had glasses on. He was very friendly and presented himself as like a tour guide. Hey, you guys not from around here? Let me show you guys the local spots. It's that kind of presentation. My first impression was very friendly and we disregarded him and said no thank you. At first, I, I didn't really notice anything to be scared of. He was dressed like a stereotypical nerd and I guess he did have some pretty hardcore tattoos on his neck. Still, I was not scared of him. Just didn't want to pay for this service. We kept walking and were in a busy part of town with a lot of people, so we really were not concerned about him at all. But he kept on just following us around trying to make chit chat about what bars or clubs were the best. It just seemed like he was a promoter or something. We were kind of aimlessly walking and he began to recommend different strip joints which we also disregarded. Slowly it seemed we were walking more and more into the outskirts of town unknowingly. I don't know how this happened but he was already right there following us the entire time. I don't recall how but he was finally able to get us interested in a particular strip joint. He pointed it out and said it was probably the best or something. Maybe just because he was relentless, we agreed to walk over and go in. Oddly, we couldn't get in as my roommate didn't have his ID on him when we had just been drinking without issues. We ultimately walked away from this place and the follower began to ask if we had any interest in drugs and he rattled off the name of a few. This was the first time he had mentioned drugs. Like an idiot, I said I was interested in a drug he had mentioned. He said follow me and then led us toward a nearby bar, which was now really on the outskirts of town. 
On the walk over, my roommate quietly asked me what the hell I was doing buying drugs from this guy, but we continued. I told him it was fine. We walked into this crappy two-story bar and he told my roommate to wait at the bar. He and I walked into the bathroom. I recall walking into a bathroom stall with him and him asking how much drugs I wanted. I said $20 worth, which was all the money I had on me. I gave him the $20 and the bathroom door opened shortly thereafter. Some random guy came in and gave the tour guide a small bag of drugs. He then gave them to me. I looked at it quickly and it seemed legit. I put it into my pocket. Well, I guess it's time to get out of here, right? Well, this guy is kind of in my way, so I make a move to pass him and say thank you. And he said something like, hold on a second, what about that $20 you owe me? I said I already gave it to you, and he reached into his pocket, I remember this clear as day, and pulled out a pathetic crumpled up $1 bill and said, nah, you just gave me a dollar. I literally was crapping my pants at this point. I told him I didn't have any more money, which was true. The bathroom door opened and my roommate walked in and began to use the urinal on the other side from us. I felt relief he was nearby. The tour guide was telling me something about, does your friend have money? I told him I didn't know, and the tour guide suggested that we go to the ATM. I agreed and told my roommate to follow us. We were now back on the street in daylight following him to an ATM. My roommate didn't understand what was going on. I was whispering to him to give me $20 but he was saying he didn't have it. He may have suspected something weird was going on. We were getting back into a part of town with more people on the streets which was comforting. I kept asking my roommate to just give me $20 so I can get this guy off our back. He finally gave me 20 Just as we were nearing an ATM, I turned confidently to our tour guide partly because we were now on the street with more people around, and gave him the $20 with the remark, here's your $20, now screw off. He immediately grabbed the $20 and shoved it into his pocket. He demanded more money. We began walking away from him in another direction, but towards a populated shopping area. He stuck right behind us and was saying scary things that I can't quite remember. He seized my right wrist there, I had a watch on there that cost about 150 bucks. I wrenched my arm away, and we kept walking at a brisk pace. Now, a lot of people were around, and I quickly took the watch off and put it in my cargo shorts pocket. I passed by a market and two Hispanic males exited in front of us as we passed them. The tour guide yelled something at them and spoke to them briefly, and then all three of them were suddenly running at us. The cholos spinned me around and tried to pin me onto the side of the wall. The tour guide approached and put a big ballpoint pen to my neck. It hurt. One of the other guys began looking for the watch and I stopped him and simply retrieved it to give it to him. Once this happened, they fought for it and my roommate and I ran away. I looked back over my shoulder and they were literally fighting each other for this watch. A metal swatch watch. It was nothing. We got to our car, tossed the drugs, and drove back across the border safely. I have only been back to Mexico one other time, in Rosarito Beach, and that time was also messed up by a lot of people that are similar to this. Chasing in a Maze by Otherwise Add1747 A few years ago, I entered the University of Lausanne to enter my medical studies. I had just arrived in the city and even in the country. I was very excited to start my year, to discover the university, to meet new people, etc. Everything was going great until the end of the third week. Friday, sometime around 9pm, I leave the library. I say goodbye to my friends and start to go home. The pace of work was already very intense so we had been working all day and I was in a rush to get home. It was my favorite part of the day because I got to put on my music, take the subway, and then the train, 
It gives me a chance to rest and catch up with my thoughts. Anyway, that night it was so cold, there was no one left outside. It takes me about seven minutes to walk from the library to the subway. I'm walking quietly with my music in my ears when suddenly I get a shiver that runs down my body from head to toe. I start to feel comfortable as if someone was watching me. And at that point, I pause my music and decide to not turn around to check in case the person is trying to be inconspicuous and if I notice them, I was fearful that something might happen. I don't want to run either because I'm not sure if I can run faster and I don't know exactly where to go. At this point, we pass a glass building, so I decide to look inside and pretend I'm fixing my hair. I quickly glance in the corner of my eye and my blood runs cold. There is someone walking a few feet behind me in a hoodie. I try to reassure myself that he was just finishing work and going home, and that he is cold and that is why he is wearing his hoodie, and there are no houses for civilians for quite some time. I decide to send a message to my mother saying, Come and get me in front of the insert name of the building, please. I really don't feel safe. It is important to know that the university is 30 minutes away by car from my house. At this point, I don't find another solution and I decide to take refuge in a building while waiting for my mother to come and get me. As I was about to go back, I opened the door, took off my helmet, and went down the stairs to find a hiding place. We entered by the third floor. I thought I was out of trouble when suddenly I hear the door I came through open. This time, I am sure he is after me. But since I'm new, I don't know this building and where it leads. I run downstairs at full speed and I hear him behind me. I can hear this guy's footsteps running down the stairs at full speed as well. I run without looking back, being sure that he is running faster than I can, and that he will catch up with me. I don't even know where I'm going, but I pray that I don't fall into a dead end. Looking back, I even think that it was like that scene in The Shining with the labyrinth. I don't know how far ahead of him I was, so I opened a window in the hallway to make it look like I was out of there, and opened a little door further. It was a huge auditorium, and it was pitch dark. I went down the stairs and hid under a desk. I put my phone on silent and did my best to hide. My mom had been texting me a lot asking me what was going on and saying she was on her way with my dad. I texted her I'm in insert name of building. He is looking for me, please come quickly. I hid under the desk thinking I was screwed. My hiding place sucked and he was going to find me any second. Then I heard a thud and a huge scream and I don't think I've ever been so scared in my life when I heard that scream. For 15 minutes, my mother was sending me messages telling me to hang on, and at the end of those 15 long minutes waiting for him to find me, I finally got the message from my mom saying that she's here, and she has the police. They are going to enter the building and they need to know where I am. I just tell them I'm on the second floor because I had no idea where I was, and after two minutes, I heard the door of the auditorium open and it was the police coming after me. Once I got out, they took my statement and they said they would check out the university management. The next day, they contacted us and said that they saw on the surveillance cameras that there was indeed someone who had followed me. Apparently, there were no cameras inside that particular building, though. You can't see the guy's face and therefore, we don't know who it is. They just sadly said that the security was going to do patrols at night and advised me to do something... They just said that security was going to do patrols at night and advised me to have someone with me when I'm out.
spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Battlefield Horror Story by Brandon D. Hello all. For some context, I'm a 19-year-old male and this story takes place on a national battlefield. Prairie Grove Park in northern Arkansas to be specific, right in the Ozark Mountain. Now, to begin the actual story. On an early December weekend, I and hundreds of others would participate in a reenactment on Prairie Grove, Arkansas. My friends and a group of other people that were all around my age always tried to have fun on these weekends, either going to a dance, drinking, or just walking around during scheduled times. It is a lot of fun. The weekend started as usual. Friday, everyone showed up and I met with all my buddies. After we all got dressed and formed up a... After we all got dressed and formed up into a battalion, we marched off to our camps. Nothing eventful happened Friday night as many of us were tired from driving many miles. We slept in big tents. Friday night to keep warm from the icy winds. Saturday started typically as well. We did a battle for the spectators, chilled around camp, and enjoyed ourselves. Come Saturday night though, my life would be on the verge of death. After the battle, they sent my battalion into picket, which all that is is taking post and watching for the enemy. When it was my company's turn for picket duty, it was around 1 a.m., and they usually lasted about an hour and a half. My partner and I were stationed on the furthest end of the line of pickets, and our left side was unprotected. Around 30 minutes in, we heard footsteps to the left of us. We gathered our rifles and kept alert for any enemy pickets. After 15 or so minutes, and not hearing anything else, we let our guards down and rested. I lighted my pipe and began to enjoy myself, and then suddenly, we heard a scream come from behind us. Then, one from in front of us. Something was running through the tall grass we were guarding. We could barely see anything but could see a massive dog-looking shadow illuminated by the moonlight. We called to the other pickets to fall back to our officer, but before I could start returning, a huge rock was thrown at my back behind me. I fell and the wind was taken from me. I could see my partner running while I tried grasping for air. I could see my partner running while I tried gasping for air. As I looked to where the rock could have come from, I was frozen out of fear. A seven foot tall black creature was standing in the tall grass before me. It was pale, wild with black eyes, just a slit for nostrils and a smile as big as its head. Its arms were far longer than they should have been for its size, and its claws dripped with blood. I could only imagine where the blood came from. After just a few seconds, but it felt like an eternity, it took a step forward. I instantly came conscious then and reached for my rifle, hoping to defend myself with my bayonet. I stood up, legs trembling so badly that I felt like I would collapse. I ran. I ran as fast as I could. I could hear this creature behind me. It made a loud, heavy noise with every step that it took. I could feel this thing's breath on my neck. Too scared to turn around, I kept running until I reached my company. I nearly cried from the adrenaline rush and fright. They were wondering just what the hell was going on. They didn't see or hear anything chasing me, but 
but I could see the fear in my partner's eyes. That night, they didn't make anyone else go on picket duty. I did not sleep that night, not a wink. Too scared that that creature would return. I stayed around the fire. Not out of warmth, but security. When the morning arose, I found three six-inch long cuts in the back of my coat. When I had gotten the courage to go back to the scene with a few buddies, of course we found a dead deer where I was stationed. It had three cuts across its body. I decided to pack up and leave right then and there. The drive back home was silent. All I could think about was the creature. I did not get much sleep the nights afterward either, putting a toll on my grades. I barely passed the semester due to sleep deprivation. Finally, I decided to take a six-month break from reenacting to gather my confidence to sleep outside again. I know one thing is for sure, that I will never return to that reenactment ever again, fearing what I met will not be so merciful next time. The Stalker by Bubble Bus I was 16 years old, and my friends, Evan and Jake, wanted to rent a hotel room for the night since it was spring break. We got to the hotel and checked in. It had a funky smell, but we stayed there anyway. Once we got to our room, it was about 3 p.m., so we decided to go swimming. The pool was downstairs, departed from the hotel. Once we got to the entrance, there was a man that was at least six foot three in all black and a hood covering his face, just kind of facing us. I panicked a little bit, but not out loud. We got into the pool and swam for a few hours until we saw the man just sitting there in the chair, just staring at us. I cleared my throat. Can I help you, sir? I asked. We got no response. I still was a little paranoid, but my face... I put my face in the water and at the bottom of the pool there was another black figure. I screamed like a little girl and ran for the door. I looked back and saw nothing, not the guy in the chair or anybody under the pool. My friends thought I was seeing things, but I thought what I saw was clear as day. I didn't feel like swimming anymore, so I decided to get dinner at a nearby restaurant. I got a table for my friends and me to sit at. And there I once again saw the man in all black on the other side of the dining room staring at me once again. At this point, I have had enough. I went over there, lost track of him, and he took off. After we ate, I decided this trip has gone too far and we should leave tomorrow morning, but my friends didn't like that idea. Once it was 10.30, my friends and I dozed off in the hotel room. I woke up to some noises. I saw a shadow figure at the end of my bed. I calmed myself down and told myself that it was just my hat that I had put there before I went to bed. I went to bed and woke up again 30 minutes later to more noises. I was getting thirsty, so I reached under the bed and tried to grab my water bottle. But I grabbed something and was shocked by what I had caught. It was my hat. I was now even more scared. I couldn't help but scream when I heard a voice by my ear say, You're a bitch. I jumped out of bed and realized there were two men right there, dressed all in black. I tried to fight them, but it was no use. Once they grabbed me and dragged me out of the room, I tried to scream, but the guy was covering my mouth. I passed out and woke up on a stretcher. Those guys knifed me while I passed out and someone caught them, but the doctor said no one could see the guys who had gotten me. To this day, I have a nightlight at night and I am always on guard. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true and disturbing horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to slap that like button with all your might. Be sure to subscribe if you're new and don't forget to turn on those notifications as I upload videos multiple times a week on all things natural and supernatural. 
If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp and stories like yours that truly help keep this show going on a daily basis. I'd love to know what story was your favorite tonight. It helps me pick better stories in the future. Be sure to comment the code word down below, which is going to be Bloody Rose. The funniest comment will be pinned to the top per usual, and I really appreciate seeing all the interaction down there. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. I'll see you all soon with another creepy video.